0: welcome back to the right type in today's episode i speak with asia monet who is the author of the black veins in this episode we discuss her debut novel the black veins what it was like being self-published as well as queer representation in ya hope you enjoyed this episode okay so asia just introduce yourself to everyone tell us all about you and yeah
1: hi so i'm asia monet i am the author of the black veins which was published in 2019 it is a ya urban fantasy novel about a girl named blith who is a guardian which is a magician with super strong magical powers and after her family is kidnapped she embarks on an adventure to find the other six guardians to convince them to help her get her family back. Uh, I write always about found families and about queer people of color and about friendship and humor and magic and monsters uh, and yeah that is just about of- to that's about
0: me <laughs> i mean i love like books about magic but like in unconventional ways i, I recently read a book <laughs> called um black girl unlimited and it's basically about black girl wizards and oh. it's not really about magic it's about like magical realism but it's also like what is real and what isn't and it's just kind of talking about black womanhood and stuff it's just so cool and there's queerness in it i, I love it it's just yeah i love books yeah. like that
1: I'm glad you just said that because, like, I just looked it up as soon as you were like, Black Girls and Magic. I was like, wait, this is going on the TBR. <laughs> and, like, as soon as you said it and I searched the the name of it, I saw the cover because I always remember covers more than I remember titles, which yes. is strange. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh, like, I've seen this around. Definitely. So this one's going on my TBR. Like, Thank you for that.
0: <laughs> okay. And could you just take us through your publication journey?
1: Sure. Mine was really strange. So, um, I know there's, like, Uh, everyone's experience is different and everyone's experience with publishing and their road to publication is different, but, you know, people tell you that and you're like, okay, yeah, like, sure, everyone's going to be a little different, but surely mine's is going to be normal. And then it isn't. (laughs) Um, Mine was very strange because it started uh, when I joined Pitch Wars when I was about uh, 17, I think. And that was my first time really uh, like dipping my toe into the, sort of publishing and career side of writing instead of writing just as a hobby. And that was actually The Black Veins, which was the uh, manuscript that I worked on during that time. And I worked on it with my mentor, Catherine Weber, who's amazing. I love her. Um, And, you know, we went through the whole thing with Pitch Wars. We edited it. She showed me, like, a lot of different things about craft and things that I wasn't previously aware of. And we put the book out there, and some agents were interested. But ultimately, I didn't get an agent from that. Uh, But I really believed in this book, and I was super excited about it. So I kept working on it, kept revising it. Uh, And over the next few years, I did try to get it published traditionally. But um, eventually, I sort of took a step back and realized that The Black Thanes is very niche. And, obviously, traditional publishing is amazing, I love it, but independent publishing is also an option, especially for uh, marginalized creators who maybe want to tell a story that doesn't have the same wide birth as traditionally published stories, so I sort of, like, looked at this book, and I was like, okay, I have this book that is a YA novel that doesn't have a romance arc, there is no love interest, it is about queer people of color, it's, um, really lighthearted, really fun, and really humorous, um, and it's not really angsty, it's not really edgy, and it just has this sort of uh really humorous and lighthearted bend to it, and I was like, I really love this, but I think it would be best as an indie project, so I started going down the route of, like, looking to see, okay, like, how can I independently publish something, what would I have to do, and I was doing a ton of research, and reading about a ton of different things and the more research that i did the more i realized that like i think this book would be really really well suited as an indie project so that took a while from working on things and i can talk about the indie process for like a really long time because there's a lot of stuff that goes into it but there's a lot of stuff you also just have to learn while you're in the middle of it um and you just sort of see what needs to be done, what choices need to be made, and then, of course, you're going to make mistakes along the way, but that's fine. You keep on trucking anyway. And then at the end of it, you have a book that you're super proud of. And so that was basically my experience. Like, there were mistakes and there were bumps along the way, but, like, I had a really good journey there, and I'm really proud of that because I felt like I learned a lot about not only just the process of writing a book, but also putting it out into the world and what it's like to have to uh, sort of Market it and create it and think about all these different pieces that on the business side that go into publishing So it was really fun to learn not only the process of how to write a book and how to tell a story really well But also how to take that as a finished product as something to sell and how to put it out into the world on the more business side of things So yeah, a lot of people have, a lot of people's publishing journeys are really strange and interesting and like I just really like mine because I love knowing that like I started off wanting to be traditionally published and I still do and I still do definitely want to traditionally publish things but I also know now that I can create really niche stories that I love and that are a little bit not to the mainstream and still get them out into the world and still allow people to read them and enjoy them and I'm very happy that people have people have very much enjoyed this book and I'm very grateful very honored for that
0: thank you so much for sharing your journey I think it's just so important to like hear everybody's um experience because no one has ever told me the same story. So as you said, it's just so different. And like, it's never straightforward, I feel. So thank you for sharing. (laughs) Yes, of course. What was your inspiration for writing The Black Veins?
1: So The Black Veins came about when I basically got tired of writing science fiction. (laughs) Um, I was writing science fiction basically since I started writing. My family is a Star Wars, Star Trek, alien family all the way like those were all the shows that I watched and all the movies that I watched growing up and I was like okay so if I want to write stories I'm going to write about aliens and robots and space and all that stuff and I was cool doing that for a while but then I like watched Lord of the Rings when I was like 12 or something and I was like oh my gosh there's like magic (laughs) you write about like magic and elves and things and that's wild and so I got super into the fantasy genre and I was like really enjoying all this like new content that I was looking at because I'm a speculative fiction geek at heart that will always love stories about the fantastical and the impossible. And something that I noticed when I was like knee deep into all this fancy stuff and just like grabbing everything I could find was that there weren't a lot of people of color and there weren't a lot of queer characters. And the older I got the more I realized that like I had the power to do something about that. So the Black Things came about for me looking at this fantasy genre and looking at these stories of chosen ones going on these adventures and these, this, getting this magic and finding mentors to help them along the way, fighting these fantastic creatures and being like, okay, what if we took all of that, but we made the heroes of that story, uh, queer teens of color. And it was basically me looking at my life and looking at my friends and my diverse friend groups and everything that I've experienced and being like, what if I took the world that I'm in and the world I can relate to and the world that is important to me, and I merged it with the world of the things, of the fantastical that were interesting and fun and just so out there that I couldn't relate to on a daily basis and just sort of mashed them together. And what I came up with was The Black Veins, which is a story about queer people of color being friends on a journey together um, in this really tumultuous, magical world, and they're doing their absolute best to survive. And so a lot of that just came from, like I said, inspiration from the genre, wanting to see myself in the genre, and at the same time wanting to tell a fun, fantastical story about queer people of colour that wasn't really based on um, anything hurtful that could be, you know, triggering to readers. I just wanted to provide something that was really lighthearted and fun and that you could just really dig into and just have a lot of escapism vibes with.
0: That sounds amazing and definitely <laughs> something we need. And yeah. Um i'm so glad you published it because i feel like so much of the time i remember when i was writing my second book which was like about like a queer poc as well um i kept on hearing the same thing from agents that it wasn't really marketable and um, i feel like a lot of us get pushed out of the industry through that like people saying that teens don't want to read about us basically um and so i'm glad you went and did it anyway
1: Yeah, I think also uh, something that I think was interesting was that I had realized that a lot of books that were being published about people of color or about queer people of color uh, were sort of centered in the struggle and the difficulties. And that's not to say that, you know, those books don't matter, because of course they do. We need books like that that talk about the harsh, gritty realities of being a marginalized person in the world. Uh, But I think it's also important to have more lighthearted stories that are, like I said, escapist vibes. Because, you know, even though you are a marginalized person, you don't really need the only narrative about you in the world to be about how hard it is to be you you know sometimes you want stories that sort of uplift your identities or you know what even just put you in a story where yes those identities are important and yes they inform your character but you're also on an adventure and you've got all these magic powers and you've got these friends and you're just you know going off into the world doing your own doggone thing and <laughs> I was really really just uh passionate about making sure that I could provide stories that were fantastical and that were fun and that had like a more relaxed vibe than what I was seeing even though you know traditional publishing found a lot of value in those stories I also think there's a lot of value in stories that um aren't as tough to swallow especially for young readers because like I said this is a YA novel so it is for teens and I think you know for kids I would like to show kids that you know it's not all drab, even though some books are like that. There are also books like this where things are just silly, <laughs> and that's okay.
0: And um, in this episode, we're actually talking mostly about queer representation, specifically in YA and with que- uh, queer people of colour and just the way it's been. And so my next question is, what are some positive examples of representations of queer POC that you've seen?
1: So, yeah, I was thinking about this question a lot, um, because when I was sort of growing up, it was really either or, Um, it was either you got good representation for your ethnic identity, so for me it was Black characters, or you got cool representation for queer characters, but they were white. And so I was thinking about, you know, growing up and seeing uh, this sort of dichotomy exist and never really seeing myself in a character And the first time that I can really remember seeing a character who was both of those things um, was Sense8, which is the Netflix original. There was a character named Amanita, and she was the love interest of uh, the main character, whose name I had forgotten because this was years ago (laughs) when I was a teenager, but I remember Amanita's name because she was this really cool, really accomplished black woman, and she's bisexual. And I was like, 15, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm black and I'm bisexual. And she was just so confident in both her blackness and her bisexual identity and so unapologetic about all of it. And she was a side character, not one of the main eight in the titular Sense8, but she was so helpful to the plot and such a driving force and just so supportive and such a fierce character in her own right that I, even though Sense8 has its problems, it is problematic, it is not perfect, I remember just feeling seen for the first time with that specific character um, and I remember thinking, like, wow, okay, like, maybe there are people out there in the world who are like me, maybe there are other queer people of color out there, because up until that point, I really, <laughs> you, I really thought I was the only one, <laughs> because I just hadn't really seen that much in media, and so, you know, that sort of goes back to the importance of why we need stories like this, because it is obviously, uh, possible for someone to not see themselves anywhere in media and think that they are the only one, which is obviously not true.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like um, when people don't see themselves and they think, think that they're the only ones that exist um, and they think that especially if they only see themselves in a struggle it just kind of reinforces the idea that they're not like worth worthwhile being seen um, and so it kind of creates a cycle of a lot of people just hating themselves and having mental health issues and representation mm-hmm. is so important not just so people can like see someone that reflects them but also it makes it just it adds to your self-worth i think um and i think so many white people have been given the ability to have that self-worth because they have so many like representations of people who are worthwhile and are seen on the screen um they can't even fathom what it's like to just go your whole childhood without seeing someone that reflects like your life and your family and your like Experience, so it's just so important. And actually, I watched Sense Eight. I only got up to like, I think when I, I think I got up to like episode ten or something of season one. Didn't enjoy the plot, but I really really appreciated um, not all of the diversity, but a lot of the diversity. Um, I think that especially the character you mentioned, um, it was so nice seeing like a queer black woman. I feel like we're often secondary, you know, like uh, black women even in general, like in TV. Um, so that was nice to see and also just the queer poc representation was really nice to see as well. Right. Um so yeah, I agree. Um I really like um Moonlight obviously. That's my favorite positive okay. representation. <laughs> um Yeah. Is anyone else like any other positive representation yeah, you like?
1: Actually, I did have I did have one other one that I was okay. going to mention. <laughs> Um, but to go off of your point that you brought up about you know not seeing yourself in media and not being able to feel represented or relate to, that was something I realized had actually that had actually really impacted the way I sort of relate to art. In that when I am sort of watching something or reading something, relatability is not something that even clicks with me. Like that's not something I read for. And I was sort of wondering, like, why is it that, like, I've gone through my whole life and never expected to be able to relate to characters? And I think it's because I've never seen anybody like me in shows. So for me, you know, watching TV, watching movies, reading books, I was never looking for anyone to relate to because there was never anyone there. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to enjoy this, I need to enjoy this as spectacle. I need to enjoy this as something that, you know, was just fun to look at and just not necessarily a thing that I can see myself in and so it's really fascinating to me whenever I hear you know people who engage with art in terms of relatability in, in terms of like oh well you know I couldn't relate to that experience so I didn't really like that show or you know I couldn't relate to the main character so I didn't really like that book it's so fascinating to me because that was not my experience with art at all and I really do think it's was informed by the fact that there were not that many queer characters of color and so you know as a child i was like well i don't think i'm going to be present in art so i need to find a different way to sort of relate to art uh
0: exactly but, you know, same mm-hmm,
1: yeah so you know i feel like that's just an experience a lot of queer people of color might have uh and i'm glad now that we're getting to a point where we're getting more queer characters of color in media and stuff especially in cartoons for young children which is another story but i really like the idea that you know the kids who are, I think, in this technically the same generation as us, but they're a lot younger. Yeah. Um. You know, they'll they'll have a different experience because they'll be able to see queer characters of color in media and maybe see themselves and know that they can relate to art if they want to. Uh, but back to what we were talking about about good representation. Uh, another thought that I had was Brian um, Murphy's Hollywood, and I saw that you finished that the other day too. Yeah. Uh, did you? Yeah, you did. And um, I was just watching that, and I remember thinking, like, "Oh my gosh, this is revisionist history." <laughs> I was like, "None of this would actually happen." And you know, there. But then there was this other part of me that was just having such a good time watching it that I couldn't even like stay mad. <laughs> and I think because the revisionist history was like positive mm-hmm. for me, I was like, honestly, I need this. Like, I don't have many stories out there where it's like queer people of color are being treated well. And, you know, like, that's the story that, you know, is being told, that they're getting what they deserve, and they're getting the parts they deserve, and the money they deserve, and all that stuff. And so even though I was like, oh, this never would happen, like, oh, this is so (laughs) fantastical, I was also just like, okay, yeah, but I'm sitting here and I'm watching it all in one day, because I'm loving the fact that this is so positive, (laughs) you know, and so that was another experience that I I just had a fun time watching. I think on a critical note, it could have been better, but, you know, sometimes, like I said, we deserve fantasy. We deserve silly things. We deserve things that sort of feel good, even though they may not be entirely accurate. Exactly. Um, yeah. Wasn't hurtful. Like I said, it was. It was. It was good to watch. So that was another one that I definitely wanted to note.
0: I mean, I posted about it in my story, and one of my friends actually popped up to me and was saying how she disagreed with me. She thought it was very, very offensive, and I was like, you know what? You're actually, you're absolutely right. That like, there's obviously things right. about it that would be offensive, like erasing a whole history of like what people of color have been been have been through in Hollywood, basically. But I think, like you were saying, it was just so enjoyable. I really enjoyed right. myself. And sometimes <laughs> you just want to, like, rela- like, relax and just be happy. And just um, yeah. watch something. Like, I, love,
1: I was just going to say, I love engaging critically with things. But, like, yeah. sometimes I'll be tired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I love the, um, the aesthetic of, like, the 50s. And I'm always sad oh, that yes. I can never see black people in the aesthetic of the 50s in the same way that you see white <laughs> people and then with this you got to because they got to have the happy ending um and so i was just so happy like that's all i can say like that's all you i I want happiness at the end of the day i mean i always want to be critical and obviously trying to change systems but we live in what we live and like we live in what we live in and um Mm -hmm. i'm happy that ryan murphy tried to do something different even if it wasn't perfect Mm
1: -hmm. yes me too absolutely like it, it, I'm like I'm glad he did go for it. And the thing about Hollywood is that there were scenes that did acknowledge the uh struggles that people that people of color in the creative industry faced back then. And I felt like, you know, obviously if the story had been entirely realistic, it would have been a different story. It mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to be uplifting. So I think he had a choice to make in that regard where he was like, What do I want to do? And he did choose fantasy and he did choose you know, the the fantastical revisionist history, <laughs> you know. But I, I think at the end of the day, it did make, like you said, like, it made me feel good. It was fun to watch. So in that way, I, I can't ignore the fact that I did have a good time watching it. And I did walk away from it feeling very good about myself as well. So I think that's a thing to note.
0: I think that was the whole point of the show as well, to show, yeah. like, what could have happened if we had just got an act together sooner. Because, like, uh, do you remember there was flashing back and forth between, like asian family and a black little girl and a black gay boy yeah, and i was yeah, like oh my gosh so i was crying i was like so yes. like emotional because it was showing like the impact of cinema and like of representation on people in different places that you don't even know are watching and being impacted um Absolutely. so yeah and i was i was sitting in my my mom's flat in london being impacted by that so it's just kind of like and you were sitting wherever you were <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, here in my in my uh, childhood bedroom here in Philadelphia, <laughs> like oh man, <laughs> but that's like I think the beauty of of um, you know stories like this—they're really important because, in terms of queer people of color uh, being able to tell our own stories. In that way, we are sort of motivating each other and we are uplifting each other. And, you know, they say, like, when you make it to a certain point, you don't want to knock the ladder down behind you. Mm-hmm. I feel that in telling these stories, what we are doing is we're telling our own stories, but we're also empowering people like us to so let others know that, so, like, you can do this too. You can write a book and you can publish it, <laughs> either traditionally or independently, and you can get your story out there and it can be you, you know? And I feel like that is really, really important as well.
0: Exactly. And actually... um i think i don't know if i'm making this up but i swear janet Mock <laughs> wasn't janet Mock one of the writers for it
1: i am not sure
0: <laughs> i'm I seeing her, her like her name on top of it i i think that um either i'm making this up or it actually happened but i think that janet Mock, who's this like very very big like you know um black american uh trans woman and um she is amazing. I love her. I always, like, I've been looking up to her since I was 16, I think. And oh, um, you're right. She is. She's a producer. Yes, I, I knew it. it. I knew <laughs> it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think she's involved, and it's kind of, like, in a sense, she was telling the story as well. So, like, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I could feel like there was maybe a hint of someone else Yeah. in the room, other than Ryan Murphy, for sure. Right.
1: Like, there were some parts that were, like, so spot on. I was, like, did he just do his research really well?
0: Or, like... <laughs> no you can tell when a black person's in a room sometimes
1: yeah i was like very impressed by that so yeah that definitely makes sense
0: yeah okay i'm just so happy about that but um yeah i agree 100 and um we're gonna move on to something less fun um to talk about <laughs> um and we're already ready to prepare that for the cancellation we don't care but um basically yes we're going to talk about the trends and the tropes in the industry that we see in specifically YA. I mean, we can branch into other areas and stuff, but me and Asia talk a lot about this. Like we rant a lot about um, <laughs> yes. people just acting, <laughs> acting a fool and um, doing stuff they shouldn't do. Um, so like, what's one thing we can talk about? Like one, I, the one I'm thinking of is like the whole QPOC being the love interest for the white mm-hmm. person. So what do you, what, what are your thoughts?
1: yeah so I remember back in 2019 I wrote a whole article about that it was uh, queer love interest of color and the white gaze and I was talking about how in this age of increased visibility for uh, diversity a lot of authors who are aware of you know the impact diversity can have they want to create stories that reflect the real world which is really good Um, but often in doing this they fall into these strange tropes that Uh, Reveal a lack of real engagement with what diversity is and what it means and why it's so important and sort of just falls into this uh, category of just, like, uh, diversity for the sake of what it looks like. And what often happens with queer love interests of color is that they will be dating a white queer lead and they will be uh, a love interest who honestly is is uh ethnically marginalized in description only uh you know you are told that they are a person of color so you might be told that they're black um but they have had white experiences and they are closer in proximity to whiteness um besides a couple lines here and there that might be like quote unquote like well no literally quite literally stereotypical uh for their race there's really no engagement critically with like what it means to be a queer person of color. They act like the way white queers act, they engage with the same media white queers engage with, and there's no real description of them as a queer person of color with agency and identity. Um, and nine times out of 10, they also don't have any other friends who are also queer people of color. Yeah. Um, they, they don't really engage with the community, they only engage with whiteness. Um, and obviously this is problematic because what it does is it gives you a character who looks like representation, but isn't, because the creators don't actually care to provide representation for queer readers of color. They want to provide diversity for the sake of the way it looks and how it might be fun for white readers, and that is something that was just endlessly frustrating, because you're not really writing a queer character of color, you're writing a white character who looks like a queer character of color. And this is just offensive on
0: so many levels. (laughs) And it's interesting because what I've noticed is this weird trend. And it's like, it's, it has to be, it can't be a coincidence. Um, because almost every single time it's always a white queer main character. And then their love interest is usually a black guy. And, um it's just like there's something going on i can't put my thing I, I, I need to like have some time to like think about it but something's going on and i'm watching you guys because about it. <laughs> oh I've yeah thought tell thought us
1: about it. so i think what happens is uh it comes from this idea of wanting uh a ethnic minority and um just any ethnic minority in general and it's almost always, always bl- a black person because black people, for some reason, are seen as, like, the ethnic minority, um, and for, I don't know, like, obviously, like, we live in different regions, so it might be different in England than it is here in, uh, you know, up north in America, um, but the struggles of the black man or the black woman, well, no, the black man, I said it right, <laughs> the struggles of the black man were, uh, more prominent in uh, white American culture, I feel like, than any other ethnicity. So, even though uh, what they're looking for is ethnic diversity, the quote unquote easiest one to write is a black person. Um, and I think when tropes like this happen, they happen because the creator isn't, re- like I said, they're not really looking. To really dig into the details of what it is to be a queer person of color and what that means, they want what is easiest and what is most accessible, and that is blackness for I would say American writers, um, because of the prevalence of our struggles and things like that. Like you don't have to really dig deep to write a seemingly good black character because our culture is everywhere here you know like everything about us is pretty prevalent and if you are even the least bit aware you can seemingly get away with writing a black character without having to do much research um and i think the reason why like i said like that happens versus uh other people of color is that if you were to represent other people of colour, you would actually have to want to specifically represent other people of colour. And I don't think it comes from wanting to represent, okay, I want to represent an East Asian character, I want to represent an Indian character, I want to represent a Latino character. They just want person of colour. And so they think, okay, what's, like, uh, first person of colour coming to my head? A uh, black person, okay. And, you know, <laughs> it's this lack of engagement that makes them, I think, pick for blackness first.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because... Um... In the UK, I feel like... So I think the same phenomena happens but also there's something else going on like under the surface because here I think the... Because there's a different history with uh, colonisation and everything. We have a different relationship with Asia, for example, than uh, Americans do. And... Um, Also, we have a different relationship with Africa and, like, the Caribbean. And also because American culture is so, like, just generally, not just black American culture, America is so pushed in everybody's faces abroad that um, I think that that's also something we're able to... So I always say that, like, a British person or a non-American can do an American, like, a basic American accent or even, like, regional accents quite well um, because it's all we grew up watching so it's kind of like they can probably mimic stuff um and it will feel very surface level as well um Mm -hmm. so i think that's part of it as well like here in the uk i think a lot of white creators have access to like the stereotypical way of portraying black people um but also because like the the black people they portray are never really they never feel black british because we have our own subculture um they always kind of feel like the black american uh, stereotype and interesting yeah um so a
1: question really fast are they trying to portray black british characters and then actually accidentally portraying black american characters
0: yeah but actually something else i wanted to bring up to do with this whole thing is fetishization of the black ma- like male body and like queer spaces as well as well Absolutely. um mm-hmm. i think that definitely contributes to it like, i think that a lot of white gay men really fetishize black boys and it becomes kind of even worse in YA because these are teenagers right and al- already black men are not allowed to yes. be teenage they're never allowed to be kids and so it, that's problematic because like they've been put as the role of the love interest because that's all they are they're only there for like pleasure or like to be an aesthetic right. thing like something that is So it's, it's both the magical negro thing as well as like the fetishization of like the black body because it's kind of like you're just here to help me um, and yeah. look good for me I'm going to look like a woke white person. I'm going to look really like progressive. And also like people will be like, oh yeah, this is a like a attractive person because like obviously they fetishize black male bodies a lot. And even in the UK, I don't know how it, how it is in America anymore. I've spoken to friends, but they're kind of of a older generation as well. I don't know how mixed relationships work there, but um, mixed relationships are extremely popular here. Um, and it's mostly black men with uh, non-black women. And um I think there was a statistic that said that mixed kids in the UK make up more of the population than kids that aren't mixed, like people, people of color that aren't mixed. Yeah, um, because it's so popular here. I think they said that majority right. of black men here are actually dating outside their race, um, and so there's this thing with black men in the UK where they're very, very, very like overly sexualized and really yeah. fetishized. So I think that adds to it because obviously the writers writing this are older people. Um right. So yeah.
1: That is interesting because I would feel like here it's kind of the opposite. Um, it's not to say that they aren't fetishized because they are, but I think it's probably not as prevalent as it is there because here I feel like black people in general are like statistically people say like we are treated like we are quote unquote the least desirable. Obviously we are not, people are tripping. But,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, that's actually a thing here where it's like, it, it's very rare for um us to be written as uh, love interests and things like that because we are so rarely uh, f- uh, we are so rarely seen as desirable outside of fetishes to- to- I cannot say that word Fetishizations. <laughs> like outside of that we are like rarely wanted and you know it's um it's actually really, like we, like we were saying, just incredibly problematic. Um, I was thinking specifically about the way uh, black female characters are yes. portrayed because like I could definitely speak to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way we move in spaces like that, I've noticed that when it comes to portraying black queer characters, especially uh, female ones, we are like really intelligent, usually very capable, you know, the whole black girl magic thing where we can do anything and we're so smart and we're so independent and all that stuff. And I was like, that's cool and all. Um, but why is it always that we are given the responsibility to take care of other people? Exactly. I have really yeah. yet to see a good representation of a black woman where she is allowed to be weak or allowed to cry. And I think it's because like I said, it's that lack of understanding of what representation these specific groups want to see because if you ask white women okay what kind of woman is a strong woman for you they're going to say oh independent and like fierce and Mm -hmm. like a boss bitch and like all all this other stuff um but for black women i think we are so used to being all those things because we've had to be those things for generations Mm -hmm. we've had to be all those things to survive and now what would be interesting for us to see is a black woman who can still make it even though she's allowed to be emotional even though she's allowed to like you know cry or like show her emotion or just literally just be vulnerable and for us that would be important representation oh sorry yeah representation but like i said like these writers aren't really engaging with what we need they're doing like you said they are pulling out what they want to see and what they think is important and so it becomes not about the audience but about creator's
0: ego exactly um, actually like just lost. it's it's wild because um one of my friends mel she was telling me about the way it is in america but she's like um she's from the millennial kind of situation so i was like wondering what it was in your opinion as a person who's kind of on the cusp of like gen z um mm-hmm. and yeah that's what she was telling me that basically it's not as popular in the US, interracial dating. Yeah. Um, but here, I think it's definitely still, it's not that they've seen black men as desirable, it's more so they want mixed kids, and they also really fetishize them in a sexual way, because they've had yeah. all the stereotypes and stuff, and black men love it, like, it's just disgusting. Um, yeah. And black women are just so... Oh, I, if I was to get into the representation of black women, I'd get so emotional, because it's just so awful. <laughs> it's literally yeah. like, one one agent, um, when she was rejecting me, she sent me an entire essay, on um, oh, no. like on how much she loved my character, and she was like, yeah, it, it was weird because like a lot of agents will reject people of color and and like really give them compliments, would be like ultimately I can't sell this, um, but she was giving me so much compliments on my main character in my debut, and um, then she finished her compliments with like I kept on wanting to say yes, queen. And I paused the email <laughs> and I was like, excuse me. Um, it was so weird. I was like, What the hell? Um and it's just yeah, like when she said that, I was like, Okay, I need to make my character different because like she was already emotional and quite vulnerable, but she was very much like um a mean girl and a boss and everything. And I was like, white people are gonna accept like see this in the wrong way and I don't want them to, so I had to make her more vulnerable and have a portrayal I wanted to be to break a lot more molds because obviously like it's the character i wanted to write like a blair waldorf type person but at the (laughs) end of the day like reality is real and like people are not going to see it in the same way um but yeah i just wish there was more black women representation when we weren't just like these goddesses and like put on this pedestal of because it's so weird they dehumanize us in every way no one respects (laughs) us but they also want us to be this like godly figure that's gonna save everyone um oh, right. and i hate it i just wish that people would stop and even in queer representation have you noticed that black women like dark-skinned black women um and brown-skinned black women were never the love interest i think it's mostly i'm talking okay. about we're talking about the mm um situation where it's like the black men but in like ff have you noticed that
1: yes i have i have i have <laughs> um <laughs> to a point where it's like it, that's sort of colorism at play basically it's this idea that um if you are going to be a black woman who is going to be a love interest, who is going to be especially a soft, pretty, feminine love interest, you have to be, uh, brown, like literally brown or lighter. Like brown is like, they're like, no, like once you can, you can't be dark brown. You can't have a deep, rich complexion. They're like, no, no, no. If you want to do soft, you have to be like white passing or like at the very most, like my skin tone is as far as they will go. And I've rarely even seen people with my own skin tone, um, in these sort of roles but it really just comes down to colorism and yeah. honestly this idea that like like we said like you know like being darker skinned is not seen as quote-unquote desirable even though it is and i really think that uh even though stories are becoming more diverse and we're seeing more roles like this we need to see more diversity in terms of skin tone because it's really frustrating when you know the the only black characters they have are black characters who are lighter skinned. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, like, the only characters that you see are, like I said, like, characters with, like, lighter skin, with looser natural hair uh, and things like that. Um, It was really important to me, like, uh, in terms of, like, the Black Danes in portraying, uh, you know, Black people with different varying skin tones because, like we said, like, there's just, there's so much colorism at play here and it's so common to see a work where the only people are, like, light-skinned Black people. Uh, And he paints this really unfortunate picture, in all honesty. And, you know, it's just so important to me now that we're getting more covers with dark-skinned Black people on there, which I really, really love. Um, Because it's it's painting a different picture. And it's painting a really important picture, in my opinion. um, That we definitely need to see. And, like, we're getting, like, people on cover with, like braids and like you know different uh different kinds of hair textures and all of that different stuff because it is it, there was a phase there where it was just all light skinned black people all the time and not to say that you know they don't deserve representation they do but we have different shades of skin
0: <laughs> yeah
1: there are more
0: <laughs> exactly and actually it just seems like even just looking at lighting and like just the way they actually draw people of color and um like the illustrations. You can tell when, like, they've taken... It's the same thing as writing, right? You can tell when they've taken the time to actually want to represent the people that they're portraying. Um, Mm -hmm. A publisher that cares will go and get a Black artist or an artist that actually has studied, like, studied how to draw Black people um, and has drawn Black people and knows Black people and what they look like and their curls and everything. Um, Same with writers that write Black people or people of colour in general. You can tell when they actually have taken the time to think about what they're doing and actually know people and actually see them as human beings because um, right. that's important i mean some people have black friends but do they see their black <laughs> friends as human beings that's the that's the question um, I, I'm, I'm a lot of people's in their heads black friend and it makes them feel good and they tell their friends oh yeah farida she like was telling me about racism um these times they don't know i don't like them but yeah so <laughs> i think that it's so important um that representation to show like real black people on covers not just white people in blackface
1: exactly and to go along with that i think it's also really important that they actually do hire black creators yeah because we live in an age now where people are realizing diversity is profitable but we're getting diversity on screen only and behind the camera is just an entire crew of creators who are all white or like there's just a lack of diversity and we really if we're going to tell these stories we really need to get diverse creators of color on set and we need to be able to pay them. We need to be able to get them in these positions and we need to be able to make sure that they are allowed to tell their own stories because like you said, there's certain aspects of our experience and our identities that you can only understand if you are that identity. Um, And so I agree, like in terms of like hiring black artists, yes, please do that. Like if if you're publishing a book about black characters, you should probably hire a black artist because that's what the entire book is about, you know? And it's just so important to make sure that, you know, Black creators are respected and allowed to thrive in all different areas of the industry and not just in one specific area. There are Black people who are creatives in every industry you can imagine. It's just a matter of, you know, beating racism <laughs> and being able to be successful in that industry. And that is another thing that needs to change. Like, we need diversity on all different levels, not just the fictional one like pay us please <laughs> <Get> us <musicians. laughs> pay us <laughs> and
0: beyonce i mean i always bring her up but beyonce approved this i think because mm-hmm. who would have like if you said to me that we could get like an entire orchestra of black musicians mm-hmm. um oh, classical yes. musicians I would be like, are you sure? Like, even now, uh-huh. me who has done, like, the... Like, I've done reading and stuff. I'm still at a place where I'm still not sure we exist. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I gaslight myself into thinking that that would be possible. Beyonce made it happen. There were so many of them. It was just so magical. Beautiful. And it was so beautiful. Like, I was every so time shocked. I watch
1: Homecoming, yes. I, like, like a baby. Like, oh, <laughs> it's so gorgeous to see.
0: So beautiful. I loved it so much. And I loved seeing that side of Black American culture. Um, Mm -hmm. and the HSBC, am I saying that right? HBCU? historically black. Yeah, HBCU um, culture, because I don't see that often. Um, Something I only just realised a few years ago that existed, and I was like, oh my god, like, a college where there's a lot of black people? I was like, what the hell? That sounds amazing. Um, so, yeah, that was just so nice to see. But also, I've noticed that even, this is kind of sidetracking, like, on TV, I feel like we've gone back, like, in our progress on black tv because i remember back when i was growing yes. up even though there's not a, there's not any it, like i feel like there must be like maybe one or two um british black british tv shows that were back in the day but okay. black american tv shows there were so many i could pick from i used to watch my wife and kids girlfriends right um yeah like, all so of them trendy. and now you don't see that on tv like you see just like nothing like it used to be dominating the tv space um and we've gone backwards like girlfriends having like dark, two dark skinned main characters um who are very different and like flawed and had so much going on and stuff and were fully developed you just don't see that type of thing now with dark skinned black women on tv so it's just so yeah, interesting you really
1: don't. and like it really proves the sort of theory that things happen in in cycles and as <laughs> it sounds sort of um discouraging to say, but things do happen in phases, and it is something that we need to continually push for because, like you said, now we get more shows where there's a lot more um, diversity in terms of being able to see people of all different ethnicities in the same show, but we are still missing those shows that we used to have where there were um, Black shows where you didn't have the same sort of colorism that is abounding in Black shows right now, where it's really only light skinned characters and then the occasional dark skinned character. Like it's so interesting to see that like those like where do they go? (laughs) They're gone. And that's so wild to me. I haven't like I hadn't really realized that until you said it just now. And I was thinking like, yeah, like growing up we had all of those different shows we could watch. We had like living single and we had like you said like my wife and kids and girlfriends and all that stuff. And now I can't like I can't think of really any like Ensemble cast black shows besides like grownish and blackish, and it's so um,
0: terrible, East
1: yeah. And it's like, where did the variety go? We used to have so many,
0: we had so and much I know representation the was still out there, right? So,
1: what changed?
0: I feel like it's so interesting because so many people always say that as time goes on, we like the society improves. Um, but I think that's BS. I think that things evolve, yes. and it's crazy. I never would have thought that we'd be in a time where like those shows wouldn't exist anymore. You know, when my wife and kids ended, I didn't know it'd be an end of like an era of like black shows. I just thought, Oh, onto the next selection. We have such a huge selection to pick from. And while I'm not African American, and so it didn't fully feel like it represented my situation and my, my family. I still felt the representation. Cause actually, interestingly enough, something I found out recently from my friend who's um African American, a lot of African Americans have um Muslim names. Um, and it's not it's something I didn't realize until she told me. Um, and I'm a black Muslim, and so like that was really like Latifa, Queen Latifa, um, my aunt's name Latifa. Um, who else? There's so many. Um, if I just start listing them, it would just be crazy. Kind of thing.
1: Yeah. No, I believe I've never noticed that personally. But like I said, it's probably because I'm not Muslim, so I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. But like I would not be surprised if that was definitely the case. Because yeah, yeah there's just yeah.
0: It's just like, so that's, I feel like it's just the representation that I grew up with. Um, we don't see it now. I think that we're really lacking. And those shows definitely had their flaws. There was a lot of colorism in different ways there. But um, it just, at least the shows existed. Um, and there were yeah, so many and, to pick from.
1: And, there, and And I think even though each of those individual shows did have colorism, the fact that there were so many of them you know, and they were, I think, roughly on, kind of, I mean, I think Living Single was closer to the, it was the 80s, right? I think Living Single was, um, but, like, Girlfriends was the 90s, I'm pretty sure, but, like, that sort of 20-year time period, you did have multiple shows to choose from, Yeah. whereas now, we really only got the one, and it's three spinoffs, like, (laughs) (laughs) and so, which are obviously created by, like, the same team, and, yeah, it's just, like... I'm sad that, that era is gone because we don't really have the same variety that we used to.
0: And I wonder and I why I'd be interested in talking yeah. to someone and asking why this has happened.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I would love to know like, it, like somebody who like works in the television industry, like maybe to like give us a heads up on like what happened there? Like, is this something else that Netflix killed? I don't know. Like, what, <laughs> <laughs> like what's going on over there? <laughs>
0: um, And just to move on to the next question, um or not question, kind of idea um what are your thoughts on white people writing queer people of color
1: i talk about this a lot on twitter too um it's something i think about in terms of like the fact that it will always be easier for a white author to be published than an author of color for multiple reasons um And then you get into the issue of uh, wanting to see diverse stories, but wanting to see them done correctly, and knowing that uh, white authors will probably are more likely to be afforded the opportunities to tell these stories than queer people of color themselves. Um, And you get into this really weird, sort of murky space where I don't want to say, no, don't write queer people of color at all, because then what you're probably going to end up with is like a lack of queer people of color in these spaces because, you know, publishing houses are less likely to co- to publish queer people of color than they are to publish a white author. Um, but at the same time, I do want to see queer people of color being able to tell our own stories. And so I think definitely white authors can write these characters. I don't think they should tell our stories. I think that should be left to us. I think if you want to feature a character who is a queer person of color, you can do that. But I don't think you should try to tell a story in which the experience of being a queer person of color is central. I think you should leave that to people who um, actually are that identity. Um, and in terms of writing a queer character of color and how to go about that, I really think decentering the white experience is important. I think. Decentering yourself as a white creator, even if you are a white queer creator, decentering yourself is the first step. You are not going to be able to get anywhere if you think that your experience is the experience. Because exactly. it's just, it's, like I said, it's it's not. There is no such thing as that being the norm. It is not the norm. It is just your specific experience as a white individual, and you know the next step would be actually listening to queer people of color and queer creators of color and listening to what we want to see. And like we were saying earlier, um, what white people want to see for their representation is not the same as what every different ethnicity wants to see. And I'm not going to sit here and try to speak for other people of color because I'm black and I know what I want to see as a black person. And I can't sit here and be like, oh, well, you know, all people of color want to see this because that's not true. If you want going to write about an, about an ethnicity, you need to do your research and you need to listen to that community. So for me, you know, like you we were saying, in terms of black women, what I want to see is I want to see more vulnerable black women. That's what I'm interested in. And that's me as one Black woman. You know, every Black woman has a different thing to say about that. You know, maybe another Black woman be like, I don't want to see that at all. (laughs) That's not what I'm interested in. But, you know, the more time you spend listening to these people and listening to this community, you can get a better idea of our experiences and what it is we want to see. And like I said, don't try to tell the story. Don't be like, well, this is what life was like (laughs) as a queer Black woman of color. Don't don't do that, you know. But just sort of try to create a fully well-rounded character and understand that what you are doing is you are writing a character whose identity is very rarely seen in media these days
0: exactly um I agree with you 100% I think that I've read a lot of books by white authors writing people of color especially queer people of color as well um, <laughs> and actually one of my favorite uh, picture books when I was younger Handa's surprise which is about like a little like African village girl taking fruit <laughs> to her friends Um, and I loved it so much, and I was like, this is, like, the best book ever, and she looks like me, (laughs) and then I found out a white woman wrote it recently, and I was, like, so heartbroken, and when I went back and wrote it, when I went back and read it, I mean, um, I was like, yeah, you can tell, this is actually not what I thought it was, the story, um, and it's just kind of crazy, because, like, I think... A lot of white people hear us say we need more diversity and they're like i'll save you i'm gonna write it for you and stuff Mm -hmm. like that's not what we're asking for and actually just to touch on how to write queer people people of color like you were saying um i think if you feel like you might do it wrong don't do it um yes because i think i'm i'll rather read an all-white cast than read offensive and harmful representation from a white person Um, there are some TV shows and books I've read that have mostly white casts and I really liked them because the author did what they wanted to do very well. And, um, I'm happy they didn't try to insert a character that would have ended up traumatizing me, um, just for the sake of diversity. And I think a lot of queer writers right now are just doing that, not realizing they're going to impact a lot of teenagers that are reading this and seeing themselves used as just like a magical Negro. Um, rather than an actual valuable character with their own arc and their own like life that is outside of this person
1: mm-hmm. I think like yeah that's really that really goes hand in hand with like decentering yourself because if you are thinking well I want to write a queer person of color because I want my book to be diverse you're already doing it wrong yeah like <laughs> it's really not about you it's really not it, it all creative works, I believe, especially creative works for marginalized identities are at the audience, about the audience at the end of the day. I really don't think that approaching a project thinking that what you want is to write a diverse story because that's what you want for your story, that's really not the way to approach it. You really need to understand that um, there are real people in this world who have experienced what your fake character is um, embodying, and if you do that wrongly, you can Actually, impact real life people um, in multiple different ways, and you know, bad representation does have effects in the world. It can change people's entire opinions about you know uh, different marginalized identities, and so you really can't you really can't underestimate how important it is to not do a bad job in terms of representation. Because if you do, you risk not only hurting people who actually identify that way, but also just adding to a stereotype that already exists or sort of contributing to bias and it's it can get very messy very quickly and so the consequences are very real
0: and actually like i think so many people these days are so scared of being cancelled i think a lot of white writers are scared of being cancelled because they know they're not doing the work they know that they're just like being lazy and not actually putting in the effort um and so rather than being scared of being cancelled be scared at a teenager that you can Claim to care about is going to be impacted by whatever you write and whatever you put on the page. Um, and so that should be their main focus. As you were saying, decentering yourself when you're a white person in this world, um, especially white queer people, they're very, yes. very like, um, a lot of them are very self centered um like there's that clip that i shared um and i see people put up all the time of that white gay guy talking to the uh asian girl and he's like you know you wouldn't understand what it's like to be a minority and she's like i'm chinese um, and he looks <laughs> yeah. so confused and it's just like that's literally like that just explains everything um <laughs> how yeah. things are seen because like your world is not universal like your, your worldview is not universal um even like me and asia were both black women but um we're from different cultures um we've grown up in different households she has no siblings i have siblings she lives in i can forget where you live philly <laughs> <laughs> you live in philadelphia i live in london and um yeah we just we're not the same people um and yeah so like we're gonna have different ways of approaching things different reading interests things we want from representation and so like i think the first step is seeing black people as individuals right definitely um what
1: i was going to say about uh in terms of uh white people writing for people of color i think um you know this idea that uh and this was like a tweet that i made earlier and that uh, we wanted to talk about this idea that like queer marginalization is similar to or the same as ethnic marginalizations not true that is just not true if you are
0: a white queer person, your queerness does not negate your white privilege. Exactly, and yeah. you do not immediately understand what life is
1: like for a queer person of color because the being the the experience of being a queer person of color is not just okay. Let me add, you know, um, queerness the white way that I understand queerness to the hetero heteronormative ways of ethnic uh, identity and such that I've heard about, and let me just merge them together, and then I'll end up with an accurate character because you won't (laughs) like you just that's just not what it is you can't just do like one plus one equals queer person of color got it now like no (laughs) it is it's a different experience and you really have to listen to queer people of color and what they are saying about their experiences and really the history that we have because there are a bunch of queer people of color in history there are a bunch of scholars and writers and activists who have talked extensively about you know um their experiences and how they feel about things and you know there's a history there and you can go and look at that history and then you can go and look at what people today are asking for because we are out there And we have been out there for a while. (laughs) And, you know, you can't just say, oh, well, since I am queer, I know what it is like for my specific uh, gender identity or my specific uh, sexual identity in a person of colour, because it does not work that way. Uh, All parts of a person inform other parts. All parts sort of go hand in hand. They all exist together. And it's not just in isolation.
0: 100%. Um, That was, like, an amazing... Like, <laughs> um, that was just an amazing like whole segment you like put there because I'm gonna link everything you've ever said, like all the articles and stuff. If you read um Asia's articles, like you just come from it like feeling like yeah, that's what I wanted to say, but I'm too, um, inarticulate to say that. But thank you.
1: <laughs> I do my best. I do my best. I really sometimes just sit here and I I try to break down my own thoughts about things. Mm-hmm. If- the simplest way possible because i'm like okay like how am i feeling about this like wh- what about this makes me angry or what about this makes me think that it needs to be changed um in terms of writing about things i'm always just sort of questioning like what am i seeing here or like what am i seeing people do and what do i think that needs to change and honestly in terms of changing uh you know the world for the better in terms of diversity acknowledging the problem is really step one. I think a lot of people get caught up in how fun it is to be like, aha, like there it is, that's the problem. And how nicely and like concisely you can put that. But once you identify the problem, you do have to put the work behind it to change that. Or you do have to put the work behind it to Uh, help people who are changing that you know it's one thing to be able to walk to you know talk the talk and say all the things but you actually have to walk the walk too like you have to put in the work so in terms of diversity in media uh you know you can say we need diverse books but if you turn around and only buy books by white people writing about white people and you only read books about white people you're not doing what you are professing because In order for these books to continue getting made, you need to buy them. You need to support these people. You need to show up for them. uh, Because that is what makes books published at the end of the day, is that people want to read them. So you have to.
0: Everything you just said, yeah. (laughs) Like, I think that so many people, they see what's happening. Like, you have to literally be closing your eyes to see what's, like, to not see what's happening. And um, we just constantly have these conversations and nothing comes from it because people don't want to really change things i make people uncomfortable um mm-hmm. i had an industry person tell me last year that i need to watch my tone on twitter and to channel all my anger into my books and i was like the thing is the kids i want to reach may not be able to afford my books do you know what i mean like it yeah. it just it means nothing um at the end of the day like i obviously want my books to change people's lives and stuff and i'm writing for like a younger version of myself but at the end of the day, I know that the younger version of myself couldn't afford to buy the book that I'm writing. Yes, um, absolutely. That so, was something that, yeah. In terms of, really
1: quick, that was something that um, I was glad that I was independently publishing because I got to decide how much this book was going to cost. Yeah. Uh, and growing up, um, my mom was unemployed for the entire four years that I was in high school. So that was really, and she's a single mother. Yeah. So that was really, really rough yeah. um, in terms of getting by, like, we didn't really have that much money for books because, you know, books were about like what, like even a paperback YA novel was a good like ten, eleven $11, you know, and we didn't have that $20 to spend on a book that I would probably fly through because I read so fast. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, being able to, you know, specifically price my book in a certain way was really important to me because I now had the power to make sure that this book was accessible to people. Um, And then Amazon sort of said, no, you have to make it at least this much. And I was like, what? But, you know, (laughs) because KDP, the way it works, it sort of tells you, well, your book is this long, so you have to make it at least this much. And I was like, okay, well. But, you know, you do have that moment where, you know, depending on how you, if you choose to independently publish and how you choose to independently publish, you can choose how much your book is going to cost. Um, And so that was something that was really important to me because I know, like, you know, a lot of marginalized readers um, are coming from, you know backgrounds where they really might not be able to afford to buy as many books as they want to Uh, and so that's why it's also important for me to get my books into libraries so that they can be read roughly kind of for free Um, and you know that was that was really important as well I think uh, economic marginalization is something that also needs to be taken into account when you know talking about various different kinds of marginal basements in the industry
0: but yeah you're definitely right sorry I did cut you off <laughs> oh no it's fine no that's that's amazing and I think that's one en- enormous pro of like not taking the route of traditional publishing because there's so many barriers um like traditional publishing has so much to like overcome and mm-hmm. right now it's still keeping out working class kids like of all races um yes they still the only people that are really reaching the books that are being written for them by the people like black people and like brown people and other people like working-class people um is like it's not reaching the kids basically um even though we're having some progress on the author front we still need to discuss like the the economic like the economic issues that are happening (laughs) i went to do like this um talk at this like bookshop and we were talking to working-class students who wanted to get into publishing and i was talking to them and all the speakers were working class uh came from poor backgrounds and we're all published authors and just hearing us speak um you could see that their minds were changing about what they could possibly do with their lives um That's right and it's just like if they had not come to that event they may have just gone on with their lives thinking I- i'm not going to i don't see myself represented there and so i don't deserve to be there um and so yeah it's just like that's such an important thing to do and i'm so glad that there are alternate things to traditional publishing because i think it's such a flawed publishing area and i Mm -hmm. i think other places are doing a better job
1: yeah it's just economics in terms of like publishing and being able to access this world there's so many different levels to this like in terms of um who gets internships uh yeah And and once you get to internships which of those interns get hired for permanent positions
0: Uh, there's just
1: a bunch of things that publishing could be doing better for people of colour like I said like we need diverse fiction yes we also need you to hire us (laughs) give us the checks (laughs) like that is just it's so important
0: yeah like even in the UK I don't know if you know about this um, but there's this bookshop slash publisher the bookshop is called Roundtable Books and the publisher is called Knights Of um and they're a diverse publisher and the the bookshop that they own only sells diverse books and um it's run by david stevens who's this amazing guy he's white and he's the co-founder and the other founder is amy she's a black woman and um their team are all poc apart from david and I was talking to David about why they set this up. And he said that he was like, they were just tired of hearing people talk on and on in the UK about how we need to change things and doing actually nothing. Um, and so they literally took this huge financial risk and open a publisher, only publishing like books for disabled kids, books for kids of color, queer books. Um, and it's amazing. And I love what I love about it as well is that a lot of people that say they want to help people, they would do these things and then make it inaccessible. Um, But this bookshop is located in a place called Brixton. Have you been to London before?
1: I have not, but I want to. That's another story
0: though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Brixton is basically, I grew up in Brixton, actually. It's a place that's been gentrified now, but it's like kind of like one of the black hubs in London. And it's where a lot of working class people are or were. They still are there. Um, They haven't completely driven everybody out, but like they're located in like, the the central part of it where kids come from school and they come they can come straight to the bookshop from school and stuff and yeah i think the location they didn't put it in central london where all the rich people were um they put it in the community actually can find it exactly Yeah. That's so
1: important. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the word uh, risk when you were talking about them. Yeah. I think that is something that keeps a lot of people from actually doing the work because there is a risk involved. Yeah. You know, there's a risk involved whenever you even do what we're doing, where you just talk about it because, you know, people are so afraid that they're going to be blacklisted from being published or they're afraid that they'll never get another book deal again. But when you think about what we're speaking about and you think about how we're talking about disinfra- disenfranchisement and we're talking about, you know, people's lives. I think it, it's worth the risk in that way. So like yes, um they were taking a financial risk when they set this bookshop up, but I think it's it was worth it because you know, these kids may not have gotten another opportunity to see themselves in a, like in a book before, especially not in a bookstore where all of the books are about marginalized characters. Exactly. You know? and it's so important for these kids you know these working class kids to be able to go into the space like you never know how many kids are going to walk into there and how many lives are going to be changed by the fact that that bookstore was there and available to them so i I just think the risk is just always worth it there's always going to be a risk but i just think like the risk is always worth it
0: and that's what hollywood was about really like risk (laughs) and um it just comes full circle how Uh like hollywood was literally the show even if it was unrealistic It was literally what would life look like if we had just taken risks and put the people that needed it first um for once and you know it's just that's what risk can look like it can look incredibly good you know like people are so scared of the kkk they were so scared like reasonable fears um but at the end of the day lives were changed forever millions of lives Absolutely. And to end on a really positive note, um, who are your favourite queer POC authors that everybody should check out?
1: So, I actually have a list here. Um, so I, before all of this started, I was in classes, uh, I'm a university student, so I didn't have as much time to read for pleasure as I wanted to, and now we are here, and we have all of this time, and for some reason, I am still not reading, <laughs> um, but, you know, there, there are some things that I'm currently, like, reading right now, and then there are things on my TVR that I really want to talk about, and then there's some books that I've already read that I also want to talk about, and I have a really broad sort of, like, list of records. Recommendations here, so anybody who's into anything can definitely find something from this list. And I did that on purpose. Uh, so we're going to start with YA, because of course, one uh, the first one is from my TV. Well, both of these are from my TBR, and they're the Black Flaming- Flamingo and the Henna Wars. I think both of those are really fun, and I'm so fun to get. I'm them. screaming so, so
0: internally. Them.
1: Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> so excited to get to both of them like i literally can't wait the henna wars is on my shelf the black flamingo i still have to order but those are two ya that i'm excited for um in terms of non-fiction uh if you do not mind reading about uh a um abusive relationship in the dream house is a really good book that i read the prose was amazing it was beautiful uh it was sort of thematically centered around a haunted house uh, and it was it's by a bisexual latina author uh, and she is talking about uh, her experiences in a toxic uh, abusive relationship with a woman um but it is such a powerful and beautiful novel and it does have such a um sort of uplifting ending so if you uh, if you're in the headspace to read it i would definitely recommend it um in terms of adult contemporary there is real life which is black it's about a black uh, and gay protagonist and that is one that's on my tbr as well i'm really excited to get to that one um because i haven't been reading a lot of adult contemporary lately but i kind of want to get into that space so that's one that I'm looking forward to Uh, and then uh, of course I also have my science fiction fantasy because (laughs) that is what I love Um, The City We Became by N.K. Jemison, that's on my TBR I already already ordered it, it's on my shelf I can't wait to get to it Uh, and then there's The Seep, which is another book that I recently read, it's own voices and it has a trans Native American protagonist and that was about uh, aliens and um this alien invasion uh, and how the world sort of recoups from that. And it was very short and it was really quick and easy to get through. So that is another one to pick up if you are into uh, aliens and short reads. Uh, and then uh, Riot Baby is another one that's on my list. It's about um, a black girl who gains these superpowers and of course, like, I love superpowers, so <laughs> that's always my sneeze. Like I'm always down for that. So that is another one that's on my TBR. And finally, like I know this was a long list, but like you're welcome. They're all good. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, finally is what I'm currently reading. It's On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Gyeong. Um, its own voices and it has a Vietnamese uh, gay protagonist and it is a heavier story. Uh, It's literary fiction and it it does have themes of um, parental abuse and trauma uh, and uh, war and a bunch of other things like that. Uh, So just so you know, if you are, like I said, in a headspace where you think you can deal with that, I definitely think you should uh, read it because I know literary fiction often has this way of writing that's really hard to follow, really hard to, like, dig into, but I don't think that's present here at all. I think the writing is really beautiful, very easy to read, and the story is just... really kind of just sailing you along. um, And I I do really enjoy that. But, yeah, so... (laughs) When I was thinking about um, different reads and stuff, I had, like, oh, like, so many different ideas of things that I'm excited to read, things I'm currently reading, things I've already read, and I just wanted to share all of those.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm going to literally, like note down everything and like spend my time i've been reading a lot lately actually and so and i I need an excuse to order from the bookshop because i love buying stuff it's a really big problem in my life but i get so excited like you know the the serotonin that just enters my body when i see like there's a package for me i'm like from me like who sent this to me (laughs) um and Actually, my recommendations of books either by Queer POC or about Queer POC. Firstly, obviously, The Black Flamingo, like, amazing. I've read it and it was just I cried on the plane. It took me an hour to read. It's a really short book, but like, oh, my God, it It is. Oh, my God, I just can't even talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) And that's about a black boy in London and um he's from my area in london i believe i think south london i'm not sure maybe i made it up but he's from london and he's black and he's um queer and he's just basically trying to figure out himself and we, we go from when he's six years old to when he's in his first year of university and we kind of see his journey and it's just beautiful um and then the next book is sulway by lapita nyongo and that book made me cry so much have you read that
1: I haven't, but I've seen it around, and like, I keep thinking, like, okay, I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it. But like, I've heard only good things.
0: <laughs> it's so good, I was crying. Um, and it's about colorism and a little girl who feels ugly because she's dark skinned, and I can definitely relate to that. And um, Lapita was, she did an interview about it, and she was crying in the interview as she read the poem from it. Um, oh. And it was heartbreaking. She was saying how so many people look at her and they're like, how can you feel ugly? Like, you're oh. one of the exceptional black woman you know the exceptions of a pretty dark-skinned black woman and um she says that you know people see her as like a different kind of black woman you know like they won't class her as like the ugly ones um and how like it only happened when she kind of got fame and stuff because before then people treated her like crap um so yeah i it was just such a beautiful book and uh, another one which is nonfiction is Taking Up Space, um, which is basically a black girls uh, slash black non-binary people's manifesto. Um, and it's about, like, it's like essays from uh, black women and non-binary people um, talking about their experience at university um, with racism and stuff. Um, even just university racism, like, you know, when they're grading your papers. Uh, and it's just really good. I think it was really like nice to see that perspective um what else oh yeah obviously james baldwin's work i love giovanni's room so much (laughs) oh my god have you watched sex education i haven't oh damn it so you don't know who i'm talking about then but someone said that this french boy should play giovanni and i agree 100 percent. he's french but he's also i want to say north african i'm not sure i think so but he's like yeah i think he's North african but yeah, he's beautiful, and his voice is amazing, and he would make an amazing Giovanni. I always saw Giovanni as black, but um, I mean, I guess he can be brown as well.
1: Yeah, I, I when I read Giovanni's room, I'm not. I was like, are these characters like what race are these characters like? Are they white? I don't think it was stated in the actual book. I'm not sure. Um, but then again, like I know I miss stuff when I read. Like, ugh, I am just I will this entire scene somehow i have no idea how i do that so please do not listen to anything i say <laughs> but like I, I i'm not sure what ethnicity they were
0: yeah i but think yeah. i think that the main character i can't remember his name but like the person we're seeing the perspective of he's white but like giovanni um, i think was meant to be different he, they, could just, they kept on they basically like alluding to the fact that something was different about him and it made people treat him differently right. Uh, like no one knew he was gay, but they just knew he was different. So I think that it was kind of like, uh, like suggested that he was a person of color. Um, and then my last recommendation is a graphic novel. I don't actually know if it's his own voices, but it's called Paper Girls. Actually, no, I've got two graphic novel re- recommendations: um, Paper Girls and Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Um, yeah, they're both very queer and sapphic And there are I don't know if there's any queer women all girls in paper girls i mean queer women of color in paper girls but the main character in laura dean who's breaking up with me is asian-american so yeah those are my suggestions and i'm gonna compile a list and everything if you can just send me all of the things that you suggested sure of course via message and i will put it in the show notes and i'm also gonna put all your articles in the show notes and everything but thank you so much for coming on my podcast today
1: of course thank you for having me I had a blast this was really fun
0: (laughs) yeah it was fun as well um could you just tell us where we can find you online
1: definitely so I'm always on Twitter I'm at Asia Monet which is A-S-H-I-A M-O-N-E-T I'm also on Instagram at Asia Writes which is A-S-H-I-A W-R-I-T-E-S and those are the two places where I usually hang out the most but um if I ever decide to get on TikTok because I get so bored that um (laughs) there's nothing left for me I will let you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) and are there any last words you want to leave everyone with
1: yeah um we were talking a lot about you know uh queer people of color in the creative industry and I feel like there are definitely going to be a lot of uh, queer creatives of color who listen to this and you know I just want to make sure that they know that there is always space for them in whatever industry they're trying to get into even if it's not writing wherever you're trying to go you know you can make it there, and there will be people who are willing to help you. Uh, It might be difficult, of course, you probably already know this, if you are trying to uh, make your way into whatever creative industry you are looking at. But you can do it. Um, And there are people who can help you, and there are resources out there for you. uh, And your voice is needed, and very much important, and absolutely do not give up, because those are the words that I wish someone had said to Little Asia uh, when she was first writing The Black Veins.
0: But yes, (laughs) those are my last words. (laughs)